You are listening to Any Given Sunday Australia. Yes, hello and welcome to the Any Given Sunday Australia podcast, the number one podcast in three households, one studio and the Gridiron Australia headquarters. Joining me as always is our work experience kid turned pro at Danny Wed, AGSAU. How are you, big dog? I'm good as always, mate. Good as always. That's good. That's good. But more importantly, joining us is now a self-proclaimed football lover, the linebacker and education liaison over at the NFL Academy and the specialist coach for the Gridiron Australia's search for the next NFL superstar. He will be joining us in Melbourne, which is huge. Joining us, bus from all the way in the UK is Mr. Russell Hewitt. How are you, mate? I am good, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. Really looking forward to this. Uh, just to talk football and uh, chat about everything we've got coming up. And um, you, you, said it was, you said it was 1am over there. Yeah, that's, uh, we yeah were gonna... it is. It's just clock past 1am. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm on American time, so I don't know where I am right now. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah so thank, thank you for giving up your time, especially at that time of the night as well for us. We yeah, appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, perfect. So you, as we did mention off air, we, you are going to transition back to the UK time just in time to to come over to us, but uh, we'll, we will get into that shortly. Before we do, I don't know if you've seen many of our episodes, uh, but <laughs> the boys always give me shit. I always love just a bit of an icebreaker um, is just asking the, uh, the people that come on is three people that they would like to have at a dinner party. But I've heard from many sources now that you are a man with a heap of connections and have met a heap of people in the NFL world. So I'm going to rephrase it slightly different for yourself. I want to know three people that you have met or that you've dealt with that you would have at a dinner party. Oh, God, that's a good one. Because I've seen, I've seen you discuss these, and it's always Bill Belichick, you know, Nick Saban, people like that because I'm a coach. But oh, people I've met, I think the, B, the, the big three, oh, it's tough. I've met Damar, you know. So he has to go on there. Cause I'm a huge Miami fan. Yeah. Um, and I met him in London when we done the Miami games. Oh, three. Um, definitely Ray Lewis. Um, uh, lucky enough to have him come to London. Met him a couple of times in in uh, New York and and Baltimore when he's doing some work. Um, the last one, difficult. I would say Ed Reed because I love the way he played football. But I, th- I really think it would be Jeff Collins. And he's a young, he was a young linebacker coach when I met him at Mississippi State. And he worked his way up to be the head coach of Temple and the head coach of uh, head coach of Georgia Tech until last year. So he's someone that's really special, good friend, and a world of stories, obviously working with Saban and Alabama when he was younger and stuff. So I think that would be my three, Dan Marino, Ray Lewis, and Jeff Collins in the football world. That is a, a mighty impressive three, especially for the fact that you've actually met them, which is, I'm sure, making <laughs> heaps of people jealous that are listening to it right now. So yeah. uh, we could go into hours, especially about, you know, yeah. Ray Lewis and, and, and his mindset and Dan Marino, you know, before Aaron Rodgers, who I'm a big fan of, obviously, come <laughs> along. Uh, everyone was saying he was the best thrower of the football. And uh, yeah, so very jealous the fact that you get to meet all these people. But um Oh, I'm back. I'm good. Uh, yeah, you're good. As we get into it now, I've spoken to you a bit, and you, and you said your passion for the NFL began right back in the '80s. So, how did you were you were you living in the UK at the time? How did you actually find and get into the sport? Yeah. No, I've, I've uh, always lived in the UK. 
Um, I go to America whenever I can, as much as I can, apart from COVID. Um, so we had three three TV channels that was on TV. You know, way back in those days, it used to go off at midnight. And then a fourth channel came on called Channel 4. So on Sundays, you had a choice. Antiques Roadshow, Songs of Praise, or this new thing called American Football. And it popped in here in the 80s, 83, 84, and stuff like that. And it just became huge. Why am I a Miami fan? Because they were good back then, right? Last time they went to the Super Bowl. <laughs> it was like, when did they go to the Super Bowl? 84. And they've been since. They haven't. <laughs> so I'm a long-suffering Miami fan. Um, and then uh, went to the school field for a ball around, found some players that were playing there, joined a club, started playing in 86, and had a 17-year playing career in the UK. Um, made it up to international level for Ireland. Um, there's a Jack Charlton role here. Jack Charlton took over the soccer in uh, Ireland and got anyone with ancestry to play for Ireland. And that allowed me to play for Ireland. So I had two caps playing in Scotland and England. Mm. Yeah, good fun. Good fun. Play I was Back then, I was a little a little skinny free safety. <laughs> Is that why, you, yeah, you got onto the defensive side of the ball? Is that... Yeah, um, I played... I started... I wanted to... Well... I wanted to be a running back, played really well at corner when I started, and that's how that's where I ended up playing. Um, and as I got bigger, slower, and um, I bended from corner to safety to safety to linebacker and finished up my last three years of defensive end. <laughs> but uh, this is because I, I finished when I was 31, right? And that is a, that is a very old age for me just to, to admit playing. I'm 51 now, but... Uh, it was, I was 31 when I finished playing, and my body gave up on me. Um, had, a, had a stint at tight end for a season mm -hmm. in one of our national championship runs, and that was really cool. Apart from all the things that come in on offense, right, I had to remember the snap count. Mm. <laughs> right, you had to remember the play. You had to get open. Then you had to be thrown the ball if you were open. Then you had to catch it. That, I, didn't like, I didn't like all that complication. <laughs> I really didn't like all that complication. Let me line up and let me go hit someone. And that was, that was my plan. <laughs> so, and I could do that because defense can be kind of 11 individuals, right? As long as you're all on the same page, you can be 11 individuals. And mm. that's kind of where we coach when we coach our young, young guys. So they're like, I don't know what to do. Try both. But if you want to be an individual and you grow, grow from that sport, try defense first. Because there's a lot of work, teamwork sort of going into offense. A lot of teamwork. So that's kind mm. of where it went. And then, so, yeah. 17 years, 16 on defense, one on offense. <laughs> you love how you had to throw that one in on offense as yeah. well. It's good. It's good to be able to play both sides of the ball, especially for what you do now for work, which is going to be my yeah. next question. So mm. what did you do after playing and like how was that transition? I was really, well, I played just like most of the clubs. And I think what I'm hearing is, uh, and I've been on the town hall calls with Gridiron Australia. Um, you've got an amazing setup, uh, 3,000 odd members playing in Australia. Um, but I started the same way. So I played from 86 and my first real coach was 1997, almost 11 years in. It was always a teammate that was slightly older than us when we're playing Colts and juniors, right? That um, coached us when he aged out and they were coach and come back or uh, someone that was into the sport like we were. Our parents were the referees um, until the referees association started because it was that early in the day. Um, so... My first coach was 1997, and it was a guy called Jim Roberson. He's an American guy from Bronx, New York. <laughs> Funny enough, he actually went he actually went to high school with Roger Goodell in Nor in mm. uh, Norchester in in, North, in in New York. So he's 
who's friends with Roger Goodell, as it, as it turns out. Um, he was my first coach, and he was the first person. He came over and he could teach any position. We would all be at practice, like, he'll stop the practice, talk to the quarterback or talk to the O-line, and we will be like, you know, just taking on the information he provided. And he really, uh, really got me coaching, started thinking of coaching. So during my playing career, I then started to give back. So in 97, I started coaching our, our youth and junior programs. Um, 98, we managed to get them to a, um, get them to a, like a division two championship. Um, I always supported them. I wasn't, I wasn't the coach or head coach when the junior teams won the national championships, but, um, there was a team called the Southern Sunday was basically with us, but that's when I started and that's what got me into coaching. So. He got me into coaching and I've coached ever since. So, um, and in the UK, we have split seasons. So in the UK, you play, can't you play, uh, during your season, the NFL season, we have university football. And then as soon as that ends in March, then we get a couple of weeks off and then the adult season starts in April and runs until September. And then we get a couple of weeks off and then the university season starts in September and then goes around in March. Um, and. I would coach both. So I'll coach all year round. Probably yeah. all year. All year football. Yeah. All year football. Yes. Couldn't, could not complain about that whatsoever. No. So you're, no. you are now employed by NFL Academy. Yeah. What is your role there and how did you get there? So, um, I, so this whole time, all this history right up until 2019, I've worked like everyone else in, the, in Australia does. So I was a design engineer from the age of 16, uh, architect technician worked all the way through design engineer for ventilation um uh, in construction so that was my own business that's what i used to do but i always volunteered and always volunteered and we had brexit and we had some issues where the construction issue wound down and i was struggling to find work could get my business going got a small job in ikea for a short period of time logistics and i just applied for everything and everything and the guy in the job counseling center was like what do you want to do? I want to coach. Where can you coach in the UK? Uh, I don't know if I can. So I just started searching and applying. And the NFL Academy was starting at that point. It should have started in 2018. Um, couldn't get it. Couldn't get a role. And so started in 2019. Applied, and I think it was the one of the last coaches in. Um, but yeah, I had a couple of interviews. They came and watched me coach my own youth team at national finals, 13 to 16 year olds, and that was my final interview. And they they uh, spoke to me afterwards. I was like, oh wow. Oh wow! No pressure. <laughs> Not only just trying to win a championship, you're also being interviewed for the quality of how you can coach young kids. But yeah, that was that was the process. And 2019, I managed to take over as the linebacker coach, and I've expanded my role as best I can. I got into doing the equipment, the logistics. We got uh, all the uh, stuff with regard to Redow provide us this amazing quality equipment. I mean, state-of-the-art equipment for the helmets and concussion awareness and everything else. I've done that. And then I got into the NCAA with one of our coaches. So we make sure we do all the education liaison. We've got to transfer our education in the UK to make sure they're eligible when they hit the States. And that's a big part of um, some of my stuff I'm working with, uh, trying to work with Brett about. And this search, so once we get these guys talent-wise, then you also got to get their education right. Because right. if you want to go NCAA, you're a student-athlete. And that's a big part of it. So that's what we are now, a student athlete coach. So that's, that's in short, that's uh, that's how I got to the job. Yeah, shit. Um, <laughs> you, you, you get to go on some amazing tours uh, that you've just come back from. And uh, mm. some of them sound incredible that, that, that I've spoken to you about. 
Um, can you give us a little bit more about what you do when you do get to go on these tours? Yeah, so the NFL Academy is, all year, is again, all year-round programs. The school, they go to school, they do their education, they're doing their last two years of high school, so they're, they're coming at like 16 years of age. So they do the six, 16 to 17, 17 to 18 year. They can do a gap year, so they're doing full-time education. And, you, and we're talent-spotting individuals at the age of 14, 15, trying to get them at the correct ability, size, and capabilities. And we don't take American football guys. We do, we do, we can, we, we are, but there's not much American football in Europe, probably 5,000 players of that age group. Um, so we look at every single sport possible. Um, from that, you're trying to get the characteristics, you're teaching them basics all year round. And then we get to the, the point of the year that we then start evaluating their class, the sophomore, junior or senior, uh, their abilities um, and opportunities need to go. So we kind of select a small group We've done three tours now. So the first one was in Baltimore. Um, actually, I probably can go back a step. Um, 2020 or 2009, yeah, 2020, we took out eight players to the Pro Bowl to do a Pro Bowl schools, skills challenge. Um, four of the coaches took them out. I didn't go on that one. Um, and mm. there was a high school competition at the Pro Bowl. And we took one of each position, our best. That went quite well. And we tested really well against these guys bench press, speeds, fun drills like you see now in the Pro Bowl. Um, so that came up with the idea to go in February. And we always partnered with a company called the under, uh, Underclassroom Report. It's called the UC Report. And it's businesses do this catapult. And I think uh, the Gridiron Australia got their own version that they're, gonna, they're thinking of trying to set up or with Jesse, with all this set up, with these new camps coming on, where you're trying to get all the talent, all the information, all collated. How fast are they? How strong are they? What's their measurements? All verified. So we use this company. And UC Report um, are the guys that head up the ESPN Future 50s. Have you seen the All-Star mm -hmm. Games, the high school All-Star Games you see it in January? So they run that. So they, they run all the talent camps. Um, and they invited us over to Baltimore and we took seven athletes. So I went over with an education agent. I was lucky, right? It's one of these things that we had five coaches available to go to the Pro Bowl, only four could go. And I was like, Pro Bowl, 50, I'm not too sure I could want to hang out with Drew Brees. Um, I'll step out, you know what I mean? I want an education opportunity. And the coach was like, sure, and I'm yep. like, yeah, yeah, you could. So for the other four coaches, go. Well, that put me in the, the number one seat for when the next one came up. Sometimes it's I'm traveling the UK, <laughs> you know, who wants to go on a scout mission? I do. And sometimes I get <laughs> sent to Scumthorpe and sometimes I get to go to, to Dusseldorf or, or now Baltimore and everything else. So we went to Baltimore and we took part in a challenge, a competition challenge. I was lucky to take one of my linebackers, Kofi Taylor Barracks. Uh, he tested really well and became a camp MVB. So this is like the Elite 11 or the, just the Future 50s camps. So he tested really well. So he got invited to be part of that All-Star High, high School All-Star game um, last, Jan last January. Um, and that's the process. So we went out and done that. And then we just made sure we made the most of the trip. We were there for seven days. We visited seven universities. We went to Maryland, Temple, Penn State. We went to some smaller schools um, like Tolson. Um, and we went into even some Division Three schools, and it's that set up our, that, our structure. We set that up, and that was January last, uh, Feb, March last year. We went. Uh, that set up a summer tour. So then we took thirteen players last year with three coaches to Texas, and done three mega camps. And then when I say mega, I mean mega. You know, five hundred athletes, two hundred NCAA coaches, all in one venue. 
it's an absolute cow market, but it was a f- absolute, I'm going to try not to swear, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, you get in, so University of Houston, uh, our, our young, our young men, our kids are being tested for this. And I mean, the field set up with 10 to 12, 40 yard dashes across the field. They got enough staff because it's a university, right? They got three, four coaches on each line and they line everyone up. So there's 40 in a line, they just run 40s. Constantly, yeah, just constantly run, clocked, run, clock, walk back, get another one, run, but and that it's a mega camp. They did that, and then we went to SMU, done a mega camp, and then the next day went to TCU and done a mega camp. They've done three and four days, um, and they held up amazing. We managed to pick up a few offers, you know, uh, five or six offers. Some guys have gone out. My Kofi Taylor Barracks, uh, he went on some summer tours, he'd done his own thing, he went with us and done some own thing. He got offered by Jackson State. Um, along with 10 other schools last uh, the last couple of years. And Dion was there. So coach Adrian Hart, Adrian Hart was, um, and Andre Hart was the linebacker coach and offered him. When they got the job to Colorado, they honoured his scholarship and took him with him. So he just enrolled this last May. See, and the, thing, the, the special thing about Kofi, he may be 6'3", he may be 220 pounds, he may be able to run a 4'6", right? He's the actual start of a 19-year-old. He started yeah. in rowing. He was a rower. Yeah, and and that's little, how you found him. Played a little bit of American football, came to our original trials, which was an application process. You put an application in, we invite you in, brought him to Tottenham, done the workout, got picked. He went from a bean pole to 220 pounds, and now he's, they, they, they like him as a freshman, and they're going to move him to Mike Linebacker, and he's going to play for Deion Sanders at Colorado in the Pac-12. That's, Oof, that's it's prime. It's, it's huge. Yeah. Absolutely like, huge. Yeah, it really is, really is, and it's you got to you go we run this roller coaster emotions with them because they get these offers and some are committable and some aren't, and some people take you and then some coaches get fired. You know, the first year we had three players, and one of them, Freddie, six foot nine, three hundred pound offensive tackle, Oof. had three offers. Um, he and they all fell they all fell away when coaches get moved, right, and they lose their jobs and you don't the offers go away. You had to go out and do JUCO. We had another guy, another lineman, go out and do Duke at Laney. You know, um, last chance you, Laney College in Oakland. Mm. He went out and played for them yep. for a year. Um, they both managed to do a year, put enough good on good on film. Taylor Tyler went on to Troy, and Freddie last year got signed with Hawaii, and he's out in Hawaii right now, playing ball. So that's the cool part. And this is a this is a big human being's got a duck coming through the door and play rugby. <laughs> And we converted him into an offensive yeah. tackle, and now he's at Hawaii. Yeah, so that's just, seems like a, a common transition. Sometimes, yeah. like you look at even some Aussie players like Jordan Mailana, who's yeah. like you know, had rugby background and got told he's too big to play rugby, and now yeah. now look at him absolutely dominating. Obviously, Jordan, Jordan is big brother to these guys, and that's the big part of the the international player pathway. The NFL for so the NFL academy is high school, and they just real everyone realizes they need to get everyone younger. You got to prepare them younger. You got to yeah. get a better, better understanding of what American football is, so they have the skill set. Because you are getting successful from the international player pathway, which is the twenty-one to twenty-three age range, up uh, to the pros. Because the collective bargain agreement, you got to be three years out of high school before you can go to the NFL. So you got, you kind of got to be almost twenty, twenty-one to go into the pros. And that's where the international player pathway is. Their goal is to get as many players to your world players to the NFL as possible. So Jordan's big brother, when we were in Baltimore, he actually came to the team hotel where we were staying just to talk to the boys. 
Yeah. Where, and um, and because our director of football, Chris Durham, works with Will Bryce at the International Player Pathway, and Jordan owes so much to them for the chance, right? Just like the young men that have gone out this year from Australia and New Zealand, um, they get the opportunity to play. Uh, so yeah, he's big brother. So he was he was really cool with the guys, and he still stays in touch. As does Effie Obara. He played at the London Warriors, which is a team which I was I was at before. A community team played five games of American football, but six set, six 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 seven, and now he's playing with Washington. And he reaches out and takes care of the guys and tries to have them for Thanksgiving and supports them. So yeah, it's really really amazing, really amazing. And then you yeah, should mention the last call. Incredible. The last call was Atlanta. So that was I've just got back from Atlanta. And that was our third tour. Took 21 players on a school bus for a week. And yeah. nine universities <laughs> on four talent camps. It's getting bigger, harder, more phenomenal. So we went to Georgia and just done their private workout camps. So it was only the Georgia coaches. The next day we went to Clemson and done a two-day camp. So two camps in one day, two-hour camp, hour off, two two-hour camp. And then we went to a mega camp and then we went to Georgia State and we've done five or six university visits in between. So, yeah. The kids, the kids must be wrecked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, again, it's that, it's that, is that it, the, the coaching job is not easy. The coaching job is about your passion. The coaching job is we will wake up, make sure they have breakfast and get them out of bed. Hey, <laughs> uh, get them on the bus. Did they bring their shoes? We had a pair of, we had a pair of cleats break. We had a workout the first day, and the guy, everyone had brand new cleats, and everyone embedded them in. And the player cut on his feet, just DB, and the cleat broke, and they snapped off. And we're like, okay, dinner and dick sports goods. Buy them a pair of shoes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're taping them. We're medically checking them. Uh, we had uh, University of Loughborough brought their sports people. Uh, my two of my directors came with me too. Uh, so Alex and wife, and she was an, and she's an ex Olympian. And Chris Durham, who was part was part or is part of IPP, so they're our directors, and they they came with me. So it wasn't me on my line, and one of our, our offensive coordinator, Joe Allen, our offensive coach, came as well. So it wasn't just me. It's not like me taking on more. It's five of us taking twenty-one players. But yeah, it was they were they were wrecked. They they physically pushed themselves. But what they did do, and what's really impressive, they put back-to-back days together, and yeah. that's where the offers are coming from. So they would go. So one of our DBs, it took five DBs, took three linebackers, right, and it's five O linemen. Uh, 3D lineman, uh, quarterback, receiver, a tight end. So it took someone from everywhere. But it did get – our DBs took over. You know, they we teach them the process of camp. You've got to teach – you're not just teaching them football, you're teaching them how to deal with things, how to deal with competition, how to steal reps, how to get on the field. So they got to the point that we had three or four of the top DBs at camp. And then just... these coaches come and see them week after week, camp after camp, and they see them do it again and again and again. And that's where the offers come from. Yeah, having that, having that consistency, which is obviously a massive, you've got to give yourself a massive pat on the back because they would probably have that consistency with the coaching, which yeah. is absolutely huge. But with these uh, athletes that are coming through NFL Academy, are they just coming through the UK or are we talking Europe? What? Uh, we are we are working, well, we, we have started in Europe, always been European, so anyone could apply in Europe. Um, so we've had, this year we had nine countries uh players come in so we've always had it's a really good league in italy germany's a phenomenal league um they can get some really good 11 on 11 football in germany so some people don't want to come away and also the education levels to uk germany and if they don't make it can they go back to germany so some some units some educations don't flow freely but we've had some good germans got a guy from france 
Scandinavian, all Scandinavian countries, Finland, Sweden, Iceland, Denmark, you know, um, come in. Um, who else have we had? We've got uh, one of our top DBs is from Holland. Um, majority is from England. Um, I've only had, I've had a uh, linebacker from Switzerland and he's playing in the ELF now um, and he's doing really well. Um, I've had a German linebacker came over and we're trying to support him a little bit and the rest have been all been British for me in my position. And I have 14, I used to have 14 linebackers a year. I'm at the nine, 10 linebackers in my room uh, a year now, uh, each year now. So yeah, I come from all over. And then this year with OC, um, the New York Giants defensive end, he's been working on NFL Africa and I'm sure you've seen that. Uh, NFL Africa, he set up and he's found some absolute studs of some human beings. He, he sent four guys into us this year um, for the first time. Uh, we had Clinton, Emmanuel, Sunday and uh, Thompson. And Thompson's a 6'2", 300-pound defensive lineman. He started at O-line. Yep. Then... <laughs> Then the next biggest kid is Sunday's receiver. He's 6'3", and about 190. Then it's Emmanuel. He's 6'6", 250. And then Clinton's 6'10", 270. And they're all under, they're 18 or under. I, I got yeah. photos. When I, get, when I see you in Melbourne, I'll show you me, me little old me next to these, these human beings. People don't get how big these kids can be. Uh, Emmanuel actually um, tests. We do combine testing. We make sure they prepare them for all these things they have to do. Emmanuel, I think his broad jump was 11 foot 2 or 11 foot 3. He had a 37-inch vertical. He ran a 4.640. Don't quote me on those numbers, but I think those were numbers. If, and if he had tested in the NFL Combine this year for the draft, he would have been the number one edge rusher in testing. Ooh. And he's 18 years old. He was with us eight months. We taught him how to play. He wants to be a tight end. And we taught him how to play defensive yeah. end because he got him on the field. He got into three games, and he's now just just flown out to the University of Tennessee. Uh, the Vols have offered him, and he's gone. We had him for eight months. Clint, uh, Clinton yeah. took a visit to uh, Clinton took a visit to Hawaii, um, and he's waiting on. He's going to he's going to roll the dice and sit and play his like his senior year and see what else obviously he can get. And Sunday went out on the tour and done really well. And they're thinking about moving him to tight end or defensive end because he's so big. Uh, and Thompson couldn't go; he had injury. Um, when you're 300 pounds and playing D lineman, they go after your ankles and knees, and he's had a few injuries on his ankles, so uh, he, he, he wasn't fit to travel. He would have done. He would have done. He's a phenomenal, very, very strong young man. 22 bench press on the on the 220. So the NFL Combine, he would have he would have walked in and done 22 bench benches. So yeah, phenomenal young man. They tra- and the, they mm. trained him up. Not just me, all the coaches. We had the full support staff. Eight coaches. All the strength and conditioning staff and everyone else, but they 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 really turn them around to give them opportunities. And that's what's yeah. exciting about going back to Australia. The athletes you have, NRL, um, AFL, swimming, rowing, Olympic sports, people that want to cross over. We're, um, we're so built for crossover athletes to learn this sport. And once they get it under their skin, like we do, it comes an itch, right? You can't get rid of that. <laughs> really addicted to the sport. And. Do you feel like Australia's kind of got a little bit of like an uh, untapped market as far as NFL is concerned? Yeah, the things I've loved about when coming over is just how it's all set up. Right, most of my time has been in Melbourne. I have been to Sydney. But the infrastructure, the the way the sport is, um, how it's all set up. Uh, we've had some, you know, we were talking offline before we started, you've been to Southampton. I used to coach at Southampton University and Solent University, two universities in the city. We've had students that have come from Australia. 
uh, elite athletes. Um, Solent is a huge sports university for sports coaching. Um, and there's, the guys have gone back now and they're working in Melbourne and Sydney and got friends all over. So yeah, I've seen it. Um, I was lucky enough to work on the uh, IFAF world team, U19 world team in 2015. We brought 127 countries in. So I've got some good friends from that that work in New Zealand and Australia that are on the team coaching and they brought their athletes. I've seen them for a long, long time. So yeah, very excited about what could be in the athlete capabilities. Um, and I think uh, women's football is so untapped in Australia. Right. Um, it's up and coming. There's a lot of women that play. You do a phenomenal job for the national team. Um, but helping them become coaches to then coach more of themselves and develop that way. Is, that's, the, that's the thing. So, yeah, I'm very excited about what Australia can create. Hmm. And can you see the game continue to grow here in Australia just because of everything you've just listed off? Yeah, 100%. Um, I've been a director here in the UK. I've worked through our, our association, so you call it GA, Gridiron Australia. Ours is the British American Football Association, and then they call it BAFA for short. I've been a director from that from 2008 to 2018. And we've we transitioned to 2018 of the last board, one of the last board members to make it a, a governance and a, a correct board, a correct board structure. And that was 2018, so they took over in 2019, appointed a CEO in 220. Um, and I would say what, what Brett Wade have created already for you in the last six months, um, considering we're much, much further along in Baffa in our history, much more players, um, you're light years, light years ahead of us, um, where we are. So I'd say you're 10 years in development behind us with a number of teams, but you've already got this structure in place and the things you're trying mm. to do and the things you're trying to plan is phenomenal. So I really do think it's about takeoff. It's about getting kids playing the game, right? It's about people understanding the game. The NFL are taking care of that for you, the flag and the interests and uh, it, games and people wearing the clothing and everything else. It's phenomenal. And it's a really entertaining sport. And you get, I have to stay up until one o'clock in the morning to watch it. You get to watch it at 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> oh, we have to get up. There is some, there's some four sometimes. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, three and five games. Yeah, I, I, can I definitely, we went to Sydney on New Year's Eve and we went out and I got up and I got the second game and got the national championship second game, semi-final game at midday. I was like, wow. Hair <laughs> <laughs> of the dog. We are lucky. In, in the sporting globe. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's <laughs> great. That's great. It was phenomenal. Yeah. I've been uh, just sitting here just in awe of how much you... Like knowing the players that you have under you and, you know, being able to rattle off, you know, he's 6'10", 280, he's this. I love how much you actually get invested and, and you know how much, mm. you know, so much about the players. And I think hopefully the, the people and the kids that are listening to this can understand that that's what you're going to be able to bring over to us in Australia, which will be yeah. us in a couple of weeks. Um, but yes. I just wanted to touch on the, the players that you've sent across. Like you, you just said offline that you've had another one who's committed, you know, upwards of 20 plus that have now been uh, committed across overseas, which I think is huge. And the kids that are listening, that's what they should be taking out of the fact that you're going to be coming across in a couple of weeks. 100%. And um, one one important thing is if you are big, there's a place for you in this sport. But the biggest part of this for everyone listening is it's not sizest. It really isn't. Um, there are two attributes um, when you look at a player and it, it can be size. And if not, then it's quickness or speed. 
those are the two things you need so it, it does to every size so someone should not someone should not be scared of applying if they're under six foot it shouldn't that shouldn't be we have every size at the nfl academy i'm just talking about these human beings that have come in and um it's basically when so the nigerians that came in um they came in with oc because he could guarantee the nfl that he could bring the nfl type player to the world bring in and that was part of it we look for we, we are leaving no stone un, untoned so there's five foot six five foot seven slot receivers um so everyone is so that's a big part of it uh, i know your, your your segue was about what what we have and what we've created so we've been going four years at nfl academy currently graduated 111 players and out of those 111 32 in america um and that's all levels 10 are division one um, by this summer 10 will have gone division one and that's full scholarship and full ride we don't discount anything else to division two is scholarship uh, division three is no scholarship funding with athletically but they will support you academically and that's means tested but generally some of the bigger schools we've seen and we visited and we visited one this year got a phenomenal setup we visited, I visited a college called berry college it's in uh, rome athens and that's where it's the, it's the, it's the camp it's the film remember the titans that's where that was yep. filmed. beautiful campus all right um their campus is twenty-seven thousand acres Oof. that's that's the size of manhattan yeah, we got to visit two percent of that campus which is the college and the facilities and the stadium and everything that's, that's a div three school so the education opportunities in america are phenomenal and then there's juco's um that is basically like what we are as a college you, you get one or two years to play and develop yourself and see if you, you may be short on educationally you know but for us our players go juco because they need, they're short on the football side you know, playing against that elite competition. And then there's NAIA. Um, and we've had some players jump from us to high school, especially during COVID, because they didn't have an opportunity to play football games. You know, the laws and the, and some states that did allow them to play. And they jumped and played and they backed themselves. Darren Agu went to a small school in North Carolina for a year. He's now a defensive end at Vanderbilt, right? And I've had another, one of my linebackers went there, went out, and he's at Dickerson Division Three high education school 60,000 or 70,000 a year to go to and he got academic scholarship because of his A levels and his education so there's so many pathways there for people um so yeah it is we are it does sound like we're selling a dream but we're just selling a, a, an opportunity that there is a pathway here and then you you know the numbers are crazy though the numbers are crazy there's a, a million high school players in America there's a hundred thousand college spots so that's tough enough as it is and then we all know there's only 1,300 NFL players and 250 new ones come in every year. Mm. We go from 100,000 to 250, and then there's 250 trying to steal the jobs of the other 1,300. That's why the NFL is so it's a good sport and such elite athletes. But let's put someone on a pathway. Let's put someone on an education pathway. Let's, make, let's give an opportunity to play sport, uh, get an amazing education. Uh, and that's really what the process is, and that's why I'm excited about coming on the search. And I think yeah. that's a thing for like everyone out there listening, especially younger athletes, like having that opportunity, it was nothing that was even close when we were younger, nothing yeah. like we can even imagine, like of going over and playing, let alone playing sport and going to university and the college experience is completely different in the States to what it is here in Australia. Not even having that, but like to potentially have that opportunity and then to progress further 
it's just an absolutely incredible opportunity. Yeah. And like some of the college athletes, the Australian ones that we've spoken to that have gone over are so humbled by the experience, but at least they've got that opportunity. And it's a yeah. very, very exciting thing to be a young athlete right now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And um, that's, they, we've had the, the players that have gone are the ones that are hungry and really have that desire in them, you know, um, and we've had some players yeah, we've had some players. I think I my I think I think for me the ones that hits my heart the best are the people. We had two young men that came in with virtually no education. They and it wasn't they weren't stupid. They weren't uneducated. Life had taken over their chance at the city, maybe inner city kids or opportunities. Um, we didn't go to school when they were twelve or thirteen. They missed schooling. Uh, one of them was the the, the uh, man of the house, and social services sponsored him to come to the NFL academy. Well, he came in with a 0 0.8 GPA. You have to have a 2.3 to go Division One, um, and this all grades out to. So he wasn't even a, a D level, a D education student when he came in. We got him up to a 2.1, got him out to uh, do camps last year in in Dallas, uh, so in Texas. He done Houston, got an offer. Went to SMU, got an offer. Went to TCU, got a load of offers. He ended up with seven offers. But he didn't have the education to go Division 1 because he didn't have that 2.3. He wasn't mm. high enough. He took a um, Dickinson, Uni Dickinson University took a chance on him and took him out uh, to Division Division 3, Pennsylvania. This young man went from a 2.1 to a 3.0 in a year. Playing yeah. three-tech defensive, defensive tackle. And he's another young man that tested equal to Aaron Donald when he was seven. He was 17 years old and he put the same numbers up as Aaron Donald. He could run a 4.7. Four seven forty at two hundred and ninety pounds. Yeah. Education wasn't there, so you can support people with their education. You can get that opportunity. So now this young man's going to get a degree, and he didn't go to school when he was twelve, thirteen years of age. And that's he's not the only one. Another young uncle Sam, he came in with, and he worked his tail off, doing extra, doing external classes. Got his GPA up. He's going to walk on at Bryant University. Got an academic scholarship. He's going to Division One as well. Those are the stories. Those are the things you give opportunity for. And that's the, I think that's what you mean, the humbling, right? It humbles yeah. people with the opportunities they get in America. And I know your sport here in Australia is equal. Uh, the this, this sport set up and everything else. But the opportunities for these young men at university level to earn money is a different level now with NIL. And that's the opportunities uh, for them. They don't, have, they don't have necessarily have to go pro. But they do want to go pro, and that's the dream. But if not, they get set up for life, get a degree. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree with with what Danny said more. The, the people that we have spoken to, you know, the, they're all just stoked that they had the opportunity. You know, they might not have made it, but now they've set themselves up for life academically and things like that. But yeah. like we said, you are coming down to Australia very, very soon, which is uh, extremely exciting. We get to we get to meet you down in Melbourne, which will be awesome. Yeah. Uh, but it is for the Gridiron Australia's search for the next NFL superstar. How did you originally get involved, you know, being all the way in, in the UK, get involved down here? And what will your role be down here for the next couple of weeks? So I got involved. So I, my girlfriend is from Southampton, uh, but she lives in Australia. So she's in Melbourne. So I came over to see her uh, just over a year ago. And um, a good friend of mine called Chris Parkhouse is on the board of Western Australia. And we played on the same team together in the 90s. And he put me in touch with Brett. So I went, um, Brett came into the hotel I was staying at. And we had a conversation, a coffee. Two hours later, we're still talking. 
I came back at Christmas uh, to take on the good weather of Melbourne because it wasn't good in January, in July when I first came over. <laughs> uh, so I came, I came back in January uh, to take in Christmas and the New Year and met with Brett again and spent an entire day with him eating pizza and drinking beers. And we just <laughs> hit it off. We're just the same type of character, the same energy, the passion for the sport. And that's where it came from. Um, I'm going to go and see Chris in Perth at the end of this tour. Uh, I'm going to do some coaching clinics over there and some support stuff and some player clinics and some teaching. Uh, and he helped me come on over. So he's supported me with flying over. Uh, Wayne introduced me, uh, sorry, Brett introduced me to Wade. I have a chat with them. Uh, this type of energy is the conversation you have. It's kind of like, I need to get you involved. I'm like, yeah, please. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. I'm, let me know. I'm, I'm going to be there. So I was going to come and see my girlfriend. And now all these opportunities have come up. She's she is so cool about it. She's like, this is going to be like a working holiday for you. We'll just catch up when we can. I'm like, yeah. And I'm not getting paid. <laughs> it's not that type of role. Um, but it is a passionate role. They're going to take care of uh, the trip. And so I'm doing flying into Brisbane on the 20th. I get live, arrive on the 27th at midnight. So I get a couple of days to see Brisbane, maybe the Gold Coast, go down the Gold Coast on the train, I think, and then straight into tour. So we're doing uh, Brisbane on the 3rd of July, down to Melbourne on the 5th of, 5th, uh, 5th of July. Uh, I'm going to shoot back up to Canberra on the 7th. Wade's managed to hook up an, uh, an extra clinic, and that's going to be, um, that's the 8th, the Saturday the 8th, or over in Western Australia. Uh, I think that's with uh, one of these uh, rugby centres. So uh, I think we're going to see Coach Nick Jennings. And then we're, I guess, Sunday off. My girlfriend's going to fly up to Sydney and we're going to have a day and catch up. And then 10th, we start in Sydney, in central Sydney. Um, and then it's uh, Sydney, Adelaide, Perth. So the 12th is, so 12th is um, Adelaide and the 14th is Perth. And then 15th, next very next day, I'm off with uh, Western Australia doing coaching clinics and uh, stuff like that. So I'm going to see a lot of Australia. So I'm going to get to see a lot of talent. And have you yeah. spent much time in Australia prior to this? No. <laughs> no. None? No, uh, no, the first time I came well, was Yeah, came down. And I, yeah. have fallen, yeah. I have fallen head over and heels with love of the place. Um, I, the furthest east I'd gone from England was Austria. <laughs> I would go west every opportunity I went. I, I've... Um, on top of doing this role, I also work for NFL New York, and I'm a statistician for the NFL International Games. So I, I, I was lucky enough, um, I was telling you stories about um, when I played. Some, I've, I've played and I've coached in the UK since the 80s. 2001, was, I was a, well, near the end of my playing career. I finished in 2003. And we got knocked out of the national semifinals. And I was, uh, I was absolutely gutted I didn't make the final. I've never been to the final, let alone watch it. So I went to the Brit Bowl final and I volunteered. Uh, volunteering at the British final, the guy said, well, can you help um, with the statistics? And he taught me statistics. Um, so I ended up being defensive and calling and then running the stats team. Well, fast forward, he used to run the stats for NFL Europe, a guy called Glenn Shards. 2007, the NFL come over, the uh, Giants and the uh, Dolphins, and he had to build a stats crew and he got me involved. And I was on every single game. So last year, Aaron Rodgers popping over with the Green Bay Packers. He was the yeah. last team I had, and I ticked that off. And I've seen now every NFL team. I've, I've lucky enough worked for it, every NFL game with an NFL team in it. And he was the last one. We're just waiting for him. He's the, he, that was the only team that hadn't come to the U Europe. So mm -hmm. Aaron Rodgers last year and seeing the Packers, that was the last one. So I've watched every single one. 
and I've been to the States non-stop um, since the 2000s. So I would go every year. And with the European games coming up, are you going to be working at them as well? Uh, that is the, that is the plan, yeah. Um, we've been invited back. So they're in October, three in London in October, two in Germany. I got to work Germany last year. Munich was unreal. The, all the games have been phenomenal. Wem- Wembley is 90,000 fans, 84,000 fans. I think the record is 86,000 so far for an NFL game. The Jags play there. Um, then there's the Tottenham Stadium. That's a beautiful, beautiful stadium. Um, and we've done that the last few years. And last year we got flown out to Munich as a stat crew. We're the 33rd stat crew because every team has their own. And they norm- on those stat crews fly with a team normally. Or they, they play, sorry, they do the home games. They do the home games and they start, they wanted to fly over. They fly to Mexico in the Mexican game. Um, and then the best go, the best stack crew goes to the Pro Bowl. Um, and we're the 33rd, so we're an all British team. So um, all British um, doing the stats. And the NFL has stats crews that are um, get one or two preseason games, right? To get in the groove and get the learning and get the new rules. Well, we go live. <laughs> Oh, here, you go. Good. here you go week four here you go start <laughs> good luck oh, the, role, good. the role was phenomenal we used to have player participation guys five people uh girl, ladies and gents that, that they had to be up in the end zone taking photos still photos of every snap and then when they broke the huddle and they lined up took a photo seven photos of every snap then they had to come down put it in a computer and tag manually tag every single player by their jersey number <laughs> For the player participation because their contracts are based on how many snaps they take that used to be the process those guys don't have a job anymore because technology's taken over and the sensors in the shoulder pads now can confirm whether they've left the bench area or not for enough times during the time in the game so that's all automatic now we used to have to do that that was four and a half thousand computer entries a game we'll be there three Just... hours after the games tap- tapping things in uh, oh it's, it's absolutely it's insane it's an adrenaline 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 job because my job is offensive play calling, so I've got to get everything verbalised as it happens. I mean, not just oh, uh, Aaron Rodgers, number twelve, steps right. He's got. I have to say, he's through right. He completed the ball right to number eighty-seven. He caught the ball at the thirty-two yard line. He's now running. He's tackled by a defensive spot. Then you've got to get the yardage. Then you've got to get the uh, next next down and distance. Then you've got to get everything correct. We get audited every Wednesday. So if anyone out there gets fantasy football corrections on their scores, that means a stat crew made a mistake. Oh, no. Yeah, which you don't want to be a part of the team that made the mistake, do you? No, we're allowed five (laughs) mistakes a year. Five mistakes a game, sorry, five. I've had two in 34 games. Oh. Oh. Two corrections. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. decent. Pretty, yeah. pretty decent averages. Yeah. Well, I've, I've mentioned on a couple of other pods uh, that we've done that I'm hoping to get over my um, better half is going to be in Europe for the, the second yeah, half of this year. So I'm hoping to get to, gonna hopefully get to one of the Frankfurt games. So I might, have, might see that. That was, yeah, definitely. If, if you get it, it's absolutely phenomenal. Like I say, Munich, they turned up two hours before the game and stood outside the gates. And the game ended and they wouldn't leave. And they sung songs <laughs> for an hour after the game. They put the music on and the DJ was playing and everything else. The the players went away, got chowed and come back out. The, the execs were like, what's going on? They were swinging sweet, sweet Caroline for an hour after the game. It was phenomenal. I've never experienced anything like that in an NFL game. The, all those trips I've done to the States. The fans are crazy. They definitely want more. And they got two games this year. So they're going to have two mm. games in Frankfurt. It's going to be a hot ticket. Three million people wanted those 50,000 tickets last year. 
yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do everything I possibly can to try yeah. and try and get one. But hopefully, stay, uh, on the, stay on the media, stay on the media tap as well. Talk to NFL <laughs> International. Talk to Charlotte. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some support that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> ah, great. So I look forward to uh, Danny getting uh, right yeah. under. I, I heard a rumor, Danny. Well, no, we're not interviewing you, but we'll, we'll put it in there anyway. That you haven't booked a night to stay that night because you're planning on staying there for three or four hours just singing Sweet Caroline after the game. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, mate. You've heard my dulcet tones before. So, you know, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> ah, perfect. So, when um, you you are out here and, and we've got the kids, what what are you actually looking for out of these kids? Give them a bit of a leg up. What, what, do, we, what do we want to see? How do we want them to approach the days and... Uh, you know, what what can they do to to, to progress themselves and, and possibly put themselves in standing out? Uh, the 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 biggest the, the biggest thing uh, for them to come in prepared is uh, coming with some excitement and some energy. Don't come in too scared. They're going to be so intimidated. We have to you took got to talk to them when they first come in the door. You got to tell them to relax and enjoy themselves so they can really perform. Uh, they're going to be put through some very uh, specific drills, you know, testing drills, and it's a universal testing way of doing things. Um, they can't be scared of what they are. They can't be scared of where they test. Um, and when you talk to a young man about being scared, they immediately put their defenses up because they think you're criticizing them for not being mature enough. But they they have to have you have to just empathize with them and communicate with them so number one is come in and enjoy yourself and learn because you're going to stand there on do a 40 yard dash and there's some intricacies of doing that well right if you just put the hand on the floor and let them run they're just they're just running like kids right they just run like they've always run when they were five six seven up to up till now the 13 year old age group but there's some skills there and how do you how you can run fast um so it's about improvement we put when we do the NFL Academy, we put them under so much pressure. We take them to a specialist venue. We uh, we put them in T-shirts. We put them in a testing environment. We queue them all up. They only get the 20, 30 seconds to set up and run. And you do all this because you've got to put them in. So you've got to teach them those environments. We're not going. We it's going to be something like that, all right? Um, but it's not about if you succeed or not. You've got to stay positive and you've got to give it your all. We're looking for how they run, not how fast they run. If they run, mm-hmm. can run fast and they've got a technique, but all the coaches are going to be there. There's opportunities for multiple years. This isn't a one-time thing. It's, everyone wants to get on it straight away, right? Yeah. But it's you've got to be at that right time in your career. So it's about teaching. That's why we're looking at the age ranges we are, 13 right up to 18. Um, you can't go to university in America until you're 18. You can go to high school at 14, maybe 15, because your education year is slightly different to us um, and slightly different to America because you go from January around. So you, um, 13 means you're looking when you're a 14-year-old. You know, 14 is when you're looking for a 15-year-old, and so on and so forth. Because you're like, you, if anyone came to the NFL Academy and that is open opportunity, um, they're got to be like 15 and a half trying to get in, and then we've got to get visas sorted and everything else. So that's, the, that's part of it. Um, enjoy it. Uh, I'd be looking at how they move, um, how athletic they are, and how coachable they are. You want to give them the coaching points. You want to run a skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't worry about how raw they are. Um, talking about this NFL Academy stuff. Um, I've been out this year to Dusseldorf and invited. We had a thousand applicants. Um, and we we built it down to top twenty five, um, and then we invited twelve to Dusseldorf from Europe, mainland Europe, and then we done twelve. I've done twelve or thirteen in the UK, and you whittled that down to then the three or four players that, that um, probably going to take five backers this year uh, that can make it. 
um, and you test them, and but they can come back multiple years, right? It's just not a one and done thing. You're not you're not missing the boat if you miss. So come in with a positive attitude. Come in with excitement. Show what you can do. Just show your skills. Run around, catch the ball. Um, big guys, just show how you can move. Uh, show how coachable you are. Uh, those type of things. The sport is purposely built for every single style and skill and ability and size. And you don't all have to be quick. I know I've said a lot of things about quickness. But I promise you, if you, you follow what the guys teach you and you take that back to your clubs, you will guarantee you'll get faster. Guarantee you'll be better. And that's the process. It's the education of everything. And that should change the game in Australia from the youngest up. And then naturally adults get better, right? As these young men graduate. Uh, they can play the sport and enjoy themselves. The ones that dream can uh, push themselves to the absolute max and get them to a high school or America. And then you go from there. That's really the pathway, I would say. It's, um, like I said before, just incredible to sitting here listening to you speak. So, but Danny's got a final question for you, but I can understand why yeah. Brett spent all day just talking, drinking beers and, and uh, having pizza with you, just talking absolute dribble. It's, it's been uh, an absolute honour to sit here and talk to you, mate. So I just want to thank you before we do uh, let you go. I don't want to let you go, but before we do, no. I just want to thank you for your time. Like like you said, one o'clock, or well, it's probably two o'clock now in the morning and you're, you're sitting up talking and you're going to see the passion. Uh, I love it. So, yeah, we can't thank you enough for, for giving us your time, mate. Uh, no, I appreciate it. Um, this, is, I'm not, this isn't going to be the last time I come on and talk to you guys. I love talking football. Oh, God, no. And uh, if, we, if, we, if, we can't, if we can't hook up before I come out, we definitely will when I'm there. And then let's have a recap afterwards, right? Let's just talk about what we saw in Melbourne and stuff. I'm back in Melbourne for the last week of July uh, after the tours are all over. So I will definitely yeah. try and we'll make some time and hook up with them on your yeah, time, yeah. We'll, on your timeline. Yeah, yeah, which would be perfect for us. And we'll, uh, we'll probably actually try and jump in the studio with you and do one live in person, which would be great yeah, if be you're cool. willing to, if definitely. you're willing to spare an afternoon, which we'll yeah, probably be trying to spend more, more than an afternoon with you anyway, <laughs> have a few yeah. beers and continue <laughs> to talk football and talk all the experiences that we had. Uh, T-Mac just said it really well, but like spoke about your passion, but it's also the passion that you have for the kids and the kids' education. Mm which is absolutely yeah. huge, which I think everyone out there listening should be looking forward to if they're going to be coming to these camps because uh, it's not just about the sport. It's about everything. It's about your future. It's about your education. It's about everything else moving forward. It's just an incredible opportunity that you're going to be able to provide to these young kids. Yeah. Uh, my final question, though, is we spoke about once these combines are finished, you're going to do a bit of training in WA, and then what's your plan after that? And then are you going to be back for the finals? Yeah. The final um, combine. Uh, I'm definitely planning. I'm, I'm you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, what I've learned from coaching the NFL Academy is my passion uh, for developing and growing the sport. And it, uh, I do get to do that every single day while coaching young men. And it's, and I've coached young women. So Afia Laws, the uh, heads up Flag International um, for NFL, who's been over recently working with Charlotte. She played linebacker for me at the University of Portsmouth. I was her first football coach. And I've done a lot of clinics with her. And now she works in that role for the NFL. She's done Europe uh, and then grassroots. And now she's developed. Uh, I've worked for her. It's been a great progression. Uh, delivering flag and delivering opportunities. So that's my long-term goal. My long-term goal is to come and work and live in Australia. That is definite. And uh, I've had a few coaching offers. Um, and I've had a board offer. So I'm working on those processes. I am 51 years of age, so I've got to get my visa sorted, and that's the next process for me. So that's what I'm looking to do. Um, at the end of 
the tour. The tour ends on the 14th of July. And then the 15th of July, I'm straight into coaching clinics in Western Australia. So I'm with Chris Parkhouse and Ben Giff at the Western Australia board. Um, and they've set me up with some coaching clinics uh, to help develop male and female coaches, new coaches into the sport, try and support the flag. Um, then we're going to do some player clinics whilst I'm out there. That's one weekend. And then the following weekend, I'll be getting those coaches back, hopefully to develop a little bit. And and I've also been a, a director of the federation. Um, I've been a general manager of a club. So I started in 2002 being a general manager. So I was playing, coaching, and general managing uh, from 2002 onwards. And that led me into running the sport. Um, I've run the sport in the UK. I've been the president of the coaching association. I've been a director of competitions. Uh, I've been a, a director of the sport. I was national program director. I ran the national program for three years. Uh, so I've done a lot, a lot of things that I, we haven't even touched on. Um, and that's what I want to bring to Australia. So that's really where I sit down with Wade and see what we can uh, uh, I can support with and help grow the sport. So that's really my goal coming forward. So I'll definitely be back. Oh, yeah. So in the, the <laughs> yeah. finals, and I need to use my connections. I got like I started on Twitter 2018 with 200 people following me. I've now got I follow 5,000 coaches and I've got two and a half, two and a half thousand people follow me. It's not big, you know, it's not blue tick or anything, but it's a football network. So you want to hit me up. It's coach underscore Hewitt. And you can see all my connections there. And, uh, that's, I want to support all these young men and especially Jesse, the opportunity Jesse's given me to come and be part of this is phenomenal. His first step foundation, everything he's doing, uh, is so amicable. He's given so much back and he's going to set these young men up for life. And that must not be forgotten. Um, it is the search, but this is Jesse's baby. And I think it's absolutely amazing what he's doing. So be part of that. It's special. And I will definitely be available for him anytime he needs me because, um, his, his passion matches mine. And that's what I'm trying. That's what I'm trying to talk about here. But yeah, that's, that's, that's it. That's what I'm going to do when I come back. Mate, we we cannot wait to have you. Like you said, it's not the last time for sure. I think you might actually be a regular uh, coming on the podcast, <laughs> but you truly are an absolute legend, mate. So I've I've really appreciated your time, and uh, we we look forward to buying you a beer when you come down to Melbourne. Definitely, definitely. I've really enjoyed. I'm I'm a Guinness drinker, but I've really enjoyed Squires. That's quite a nice beer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also a Guinness I'll, drinker. I'll you whatever you is... want, mate. Whatever you want. <laughs> I've, then, I've, uh, I've actually been curating a list of the best Guinnesses you can get in Melbourne. So we can go on a little Guinness adventure. Because obviously perfect. it's not the same. It's not the same as the UK, but no, no. Uh, no, no. it's still good. There's still a good couple my, of good my, places. My, my, my daughter bought me one of those little nitro, the little nitro things you go on the can, and it almost, smells, oh, it yeah. almost tastes real nice. It's really nice. And O'Brien's are really nice on the South Bank. I've been there a couple, quite a few times. Yeah, beautiful. Nah, grass. I think you two are going to have quite a little bromance when we meet up in Melbourne. We're uh, talking about Guinness, but make sure you go to bed now, mate. It's uh, two o'clock in the morning. Try and reset your clock before you come back down here in two weeks, and uh, we'll definitely catch up with you then anyway. Perfect. Good, Great chatting with you. Absolutely amazing chatting with you. Can't wait to meet you. Thank you very well, much. Really looking forward to it.